<laughs> well, hello, Dan. How are you today? Hello, Kevin. I'm good. How are you? Ah, doing well. Trying to beat the heat. Uh, so, uh, you know, um, getting a little swimming in today, doing a little little, little sunning, but uh, trying to stay cool as well. So, uh, how about you? Yeah, staying cool in my air conditioning. <laughs> That's- there, there you go. There you go. Sounds like a good plan. So, hi, everybody. Welcome to the Dan and Kevin Totally 80s Music Podcast. Um, as I had put out on our trailer last night, uh, we have a little uh, deviation from what we've been doing. And uh, today we're going to uh, take a look at a, a featured artist. Uh, we'll call her our spotlight artist uh, for today. And uh, we're going to talk to you uh, a, a little bit. Well, actually, I think Dan's going to talk to you a lot more than I am about it. But um, our feature artist for today is Cindy Lopper. So with that being said, Dan, uh, since you have the helm on this, why don't you go ahead and fire away? All right. Thank you. Well, yes, we are going to be talking a little bit about Cynthia and Stephanie Lopper. Um, before we get to her music and everything in the 80s, I just I'll give a little background maybe, um, just so we get to know her a little bit from where she started and how she got into music. So uh, she was born in Brooklyn and she was actually, she grew up in um, Ozone Park neighborhood of Queens in New York City. And from a young age, she was listening to music. She loved like the Beatles and Judy Garland. And actually at age 12, she started to write her own songs and she started to play the acoustic guitar that her sister gave to her actually. So as we see with a lot of artists, you know, how they kind of get the bug from a a very early age. It was something that she was, you know, had in her already. So, right. So um, as she was growing up and through her teens and stuff, um, she was kind of rebellious and um, she, as we know her from an artist from when she started, as we get to her music, um, you know, she loved coloring her hair and she loved eccentric clothing. Um, she took her friend's advice to, if you ever notice, her her name is not spelled the regular way you spell Cindy. She switched the Y and the I, so it's C-Y-N-D-I instead of C-I-N-D-Y. Right. Um, but, you know, she paid a little bit of a price for it, like anybody as a teenager that wants to, you know, look and act different. Um, she was often bullied um, she had, you know, rocks thrown at her and name calling and stuff like that. Um, she was actually expelled from high school, um, but she later earned her GED. Uh, she started um, an interesting path with going into the woods for a couple weeks in Canada to try to find herself. Um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I just find some of this. I didn't know all this either, so I thought it was interesting to give some of this information. <laughs> That's very that's very interesting. Sometimes maybe I should go into the woods to find myself. <laughs> I actually used to do that myself when I was younger because we grew up right, our house is right in front of the woods. So that was really kind of a place where I explored too. But anyway, I'm going to get into that. <laughs> uh, so she took some art classes up in Vermont, I believe. Um, and then she kind of got started in the early 70s with some with actual music, with playing with some bands. Um, she was in a couple cover bands. Uh, one was called Doc West. And they, and they covered disco songs as well as Janis Joplin. Wow. 
an interesting mix. Yes. Music. <laughs> um, then she was in a band called Flyer that was kind of active in the New York metro area. Um, they played hits by like Bad Company, Jefferson Airplane, Led Zeppelin. Um, and then she wasn't really happy like performing the covers. She wanted to do original music. She actually damaged her vocal cords um, right around 77. And the doctors told her she would never sing again. Oh my. Yeah. But she regained her voice with the help of a vocal co coach. So that came back. Her, I guess her real start as far as when you start to look at um, some type of recognition and fame, um, she was in a group called Blue Angel from like 78 to 82. And um, it's interesting because I didn't know this either. Out of all, man, the manager of the Allman Brothers band is what heard her voice and loved her and signed her up for a contract. Wow! And that would that be would that would that be Steve Masarsky? Oh yes! Wow! You know your managers. Uh huh. I didn't know that name at all. Very good. There you go. Very good. Wow. So yeah, so he signed her up, and um, well, actually signed them up. I should say Blue Angel as this group. Um, they put out an album in 1980. It didn't do very well at all, and the band broke up. And um, But it was from there where she had her big break. Um, she kind of worked a lot of side jobs, like she was a waitress at IHOP. She worked in retail. But then she also did some singing in local clubs, and um, she was starting to get really noticed. And she met David Wolf, who took over as her manager, and that's where she got her recording contract with Portrait Records, which was a subsidiary of Epic Records. Okay. So this is where it all starts and where we really get into what a lot of people are aware of and know about her as far as the music. So, of course, in 1983, then, she releases her first album, first solo album. She's so unusual. Yes, she is. This album came out October 14, 1983. Um... And of course, as we all know, was a huge, huge success. Um, she exploded onto the scene with this album on MTV, on the radio. Um, I think people really kind of dug her, her interesting and unique look, um, the way she acted, the way she danced and sang. And she was like a refreshing kind of voice and a refreshing thing to see in the early 80s. When you say that, yes, absolutely, yeah, correct. And I was one of those people who, when I saw it, I was like, Oh my god, who is this? I was like, She is so cool, and um, also being unusual, of course, which I was attracted to, and just so unique. And, um, as all as not always, but a lot of times, the first song that makes an artist really popular and gives them their biggest break, which of course her first big song was. Girls just have fun. Right. And it was, it was a fun song. There's no denying it was catchy and it was poppy and it was fun. But after you listen to, as an avid fan of hers, I've been all her all my life and her career, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be my favorite song of hers. Um, but I mean, it was just at the time, it was just a huge... A huge song. So she's so unusual, uh, made it all the way to number four on the charts in the United States. It went six times platinum in the United States. Um, 
and a lot of other countries as well. It went gold and platinum. And she, she actually holds a record. Well, it's been since broken, but at the time it was a record. She was the first female artist with a debut album to have four top five singles from it. First female ever on a debut album. Wow. And what an album, what an album it was. Yeah, so speaking of the songs then on that album, as you said, Girls Just Wanna Have Fun was the first release in 1983. And it, it made it to number two on the charts, uh, made it to number one on the dance charts. Of course, it was huge in the dance clubs. And of course, everyone probably remembers the video. Um, what do you what do you remember about the video? I'm sure there's some things about it that you could point out. <laughs> probably one of the biggest things that I remember in the video is that Captain Lou Albano was was cast as her father um, <laughs> in the video. Uh, I know that it was her her mother and Lou Albano as as her father, but it was just kind of. You know, the, 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 I guess the whole funny thing about the video was just about her rebelliousness in the, in, you know, in the video. And, um, yeah, just my, a great mind blowing video back then. Yeah. It was crazy too with all the girls in it and the crazy hair and her dancing with her big skirt on the street and all that, like on the album cover. Um, yeah, of course, and MTV just had that in heavy rotation forever. Right? Um, now, before you go on, I just want to throw throw one bit of trivia out there for you. I don't know if you if you if you knew this, but on this album, do you know who there were two studio mus musicians that she had on She's So Unusual that later went on to become sort of um, a, a, a popular 80s group um, that we actually got to see here play in our hometown. That you and I saw. Um, maybe you didn't, but <laughs> I did. They actually played in. Um, they, they they actually played in 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 our hometown back in. Uh, mm -hmm. I know. I didn't see them, but I know who you're talking about. Okay. The Hooters. Yes, and that would be Eric Bazilian and Rob Hyman. Yep. Studio musicians for She's So Unusual, who later, of course, would become the Hooters and uh, actually play here a concert in our hometown, um, I believe, maybe our junior year of high school, if I'm not mistaken. It might have been 1985, but I'll have to go back and check that. Yeah, but. I'll be right, because that was the year that Nervous Night was a huge album that came out in 85. Okay. Um, so I'm guessing it was probably 85. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I knew it was the Hooters, and um, they maintained a pretty good relationship with her for many, many years. Um, and it did, I don't know if they performed this song, but I mean, the next song I was going to get to was one written by Hyman and her. It was her first number one hit. It was the second release from She's So Unusual, and it was a slow song. It was a ballad type of song. And I remember the video with the train ride? Yes. Great song, Time After Time. Yeah, Time After Time. Uh, number one song, and I remember buying the the forty five because I was still buying forty five records, and I bought that song, and I played that over and over, and just it was a brilliant song. Um, so yeah, I made it to number one on the charts, both the Hot One Hundred and the Adult Contemporary. Um, I'm kind of this interesting, actually. 
made it to number two on the dance charts, but I think I know why because they remade they remade it later with some like you know mixes of faster version of it. But yes. uh, yeah. Okay. So that was the second song. The third song to make the top five was the number three song. And it, this is an interesting uh, song because um, back in the early 2000s, um, I went to a club and they were having a contest because actually uh, Cindy Lauper had released um, an album at last, which she does a bunch of like standards, like famous uh, listening standard songs. And they were giving away the album. You had to answer a trivia question in order to win this album. And I answered the question correctly, and it was about this song. And um, <laughs> remember singing this song over and over back in 1984. But I didn't know what the song was about back then. But I had found out much later. And <laughs> this song is actually about masturbation. See, <laughs> 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 so you, know, you know what I'm talking about? Yep, you got the tune, she bop. Now, I don't. Did, did you know this in the 80s when this song? I didn't know that in the 80s that this was about this. I just, like, for me, bop was like that kind of set, that word that means like to bop around, to dance kind of thing. Um, I, I kind of found that a little later. You found a little later? Yes, about the, the, the meaning of the song. Okay, yeah, me too. Like I said, it wasn't something I knew at the time. It was just a really fun song. Um, that was. <laughs> right. Really cool video as well, I thought. It's something that we would get up and dance to. She bop, she bop, we bop, I bop, you bop, they bop, she bop, oh, she bop. Yeah. <laughs> I always, Kevin's renditions, I love it, of our songs. <laughs> Save that part for you. <laughs> you. Very good. So the fourth song from the album, which was another slower song, made it to number five. And this is actually, I might even like this song even a little more than Time After Time. Um, it's one of those songs that don't hear it maybe as often on the radio as like Time After Time or Girls Just Want to Fun. But like if it did come on, it was one of those where you definitely don't turn the dial. As soon as it would, I would hear it, I'd have to hear, listen to it. And it was all through the night. Yes. Beautiful song. Very beautiful, absolutely. Yeah, so, and that made it to also the number four in the adult contemporary chart. So um, she was having success on the regular main charts as well as adult contemporary, as well as the dance charts. I failed to mention Shebop actually made top 10 on the dance as well. So those were the, the, the four top five singles that came off of She's Unusual. And there was a fifth single that came off of it. It made it to number 27 and typically the version you hear is usually the live version of the song. And I do believe that the video that they showed a lot on MTV was also her, her live stage version of it. Do you know which song I'm talking about? Money, money changes everything. Very good, yes. Yep, number 27, that made it to. So those were the five top 40 hits from She's So Unusual that spanned you know, over pretty much two years, 83 and 84. Um, and before we leave that album, like just there's a couple because somebody who like me who is just such a, um, a fan of hers, of course, you know, I would listen to the whole album through many, many times. 
and those people that were familiar with listening to this album, because many people did buy it, as we know, and heard it, um, you know, kind of enjoyed most of the other songs on it, too. Like, When You Were Mine, she's often done that in concert from that album. Um, and you do uh, know that just everything was a cover version. Wait, say that again? Money changes right. right. Was was she? That was her cover version of a yeah. song actually done by the Brain. Very good. Yes, I remember reading that. So even though, and she, go ahead. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but you know, she do another cover song on that album when you were mine was originally by another one of your favorite artists, Prince. Yes, yeah, Prince had written that and. Um, I believe that was only, she wrote two of the songs. Um, Girls Just Want to Have Fun was written for her, but she did change some of the information, the, the lyrics too, because she thought it was misogynistic a little yeah. bit. So she did some changes with that. But yeah, so Prince, who we may talk about some other time a lot more, of course, can't talk about the 80s without him as well. So he had his hand in a lot of Absolutely, yeah. And I don't know if the track on the album... Remember, the album's called She's So Unusual, but there was a track called He's So Unusual. Okay. Which was like the number nine track, which is kind of like a, a, you know, a, a reverb to the title so that you can kind of answer back with a he and a she being unusual and uh, being attracted to each other. So, yeah. And one other thing I want to mention, too, I often, and I've been purchasing music ever since, and a lot of times a lot of these albums... Um, get re-released, remastered, where they, you know, do more with the music or uh, better the sound of it or add additional tracks and things like that. In 2000, um, I think it was 2006, yeah, it was re-released, She's Unusual, and they added, like, three bonus tracks. There were three live versions of uh, Money Changes Everything, She Bop, and All Through the Night. And then, which I'm holding in my hand so you can't see it, of course, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> in 2013, which was a 30-year anniversary celebration of the She's So Unusual album, 30 years, they released a two-CD special set um, with a bunch of uh, uh, photographs and in, in liner notes, and it has a bunch of remixes on it, a bunch of demos, a bunch of live versions, um, a huge remix of Shebop. So, of course, I had to have that as well. And I'm finding that a lot of artists are doing that. You're probably aware of, you know, of course, these anniversaries are up from these 80s albums and they're re-releasing them with tons of stuff. And, of course, sucker like me, got to get them, got to buy them. <laughs> so. <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's, she's so unusual. Anything else you wanted to say about that right now? Go right ahead. You're good. Okay. Um, before her next album, a few pretty big things happened in 85. Um, before her next album, like I said, uh, one was a movie that she sang the main title, the soundtrack song, which made it to number 10 on the charts in 1985. And you sometimes see it titled as good enough, but... Right. But the main title usually has the movie in it as well, which is what, Kevin? The Goonies. Yeah, the Goonies are good enough. Exactly. Feed them after midnight. <laughs> so the Goonies soundtrack in 85, 
Uh, I remember playing that, played that a lot on the MTV, that video, The Goonies Are Good Enough. And then, of course, in 85 was another, well, even more huge thing that happened with a ton of musical artists in the United States getting together to sing a song of which he has one unforgettable, un, yes, totally unforgettable line in that song that I just, to this day, when I think of that song, that's one of the lines I just love to hear. And it was a charity. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. We are the world. We are the children. Yes. I didn't know if you were going to keep going. So here's your USA for Africa, which, uh, of course, had a bunch of huge 80s artists, and Cindy Lauper was there, of course, as well. Amazing, the artists had in it. It, it was unbe unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, I guess I did have something else I did want to say before we leave that album, just to give it the uh, kudos that it deserves. Um, well, actually, it kind of fits in here because in 85, which we're talking about, besides the Goonies and besides USA for Africa, which of course was a huge number one song. Um, she actually won Best New Artist at the 1985 Grammy Awards. Right. Yes. Um, and I was thrilled. I was like, she deserved it. And She's So Unusual did receive nominations for Album of the Year, Record of the Year, Best Female Pop Performance, Vocal Performance, and Song of the Year for Time After Time. Um, it did win the Grammy for Best Album Package, which kind of goes also to like the art director of it. But Yes. Um, yeah, but she was huge for the, those year that year at the Grammy Awards. Um, MTV Video Music Awards. She won the best female video for girls. Just want to have fun. And that's where you brought up, I knew you were going to bring up Captain Lil Bano. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was, of course. Because again, if you're, if you're a wrestling fan like I was, especially in the 80s, you couldn't, you couldn't pass that video up to absolute in action. And it was funny because, um, she actually like made the over the threshold of rock and roll coming into the at the time WWF, um, and you know it's just amazing her uh, show up at their some of their events and uh, you know the, you know some things that she would she would come to. Um, there was actually an event back in. I believe it was '85 called Rock and Rock and Wrestling Connection, and um, it was unbelievable. You know, being part of the first ever WrestleMania event too back in '19 was just it was just it was just unbelievable, unbelievable. Well, um, let me. I just want to tell you, Kevin, you're you're like going in and out of recording, like your voice every other syllable, just. I don't know your connection. Maybe our connection. Well, we'll 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 cross that bridge. How, okay. how am I now? We'll see. It, it just maybe I don't know what's going on. Maybe it'll come back clearer. Um, I was going to ask you too, like who was the other big professional wrestler that was a big part of what you were just talking about—the Rock and Wrestling Connection event thing. Played her bodyguard. Oh, it was it was one of my favorite all time all time wrestling favorites. Um, Say your prayers, eat your vitamins. We're Hulkamaniacs, brother. Hulk Hogan, baby. Okay. Well, I left that to you because I was I was definitely not a fan of of WWF and wrestling in the eighties. Um, I didn't watch it at all. Um, and but 
I know a lot of people enjoyed it, and that's fine. So, but I was kind of glad when Cindy Lauper kind of left that whole arena. So, <laughs> that's just my my bias. <laughs> uh, <anyway. laughs> hey, I like what we like. So, all right. So her next album came out in 1986, and it also the first song released from it was her second number one hit and it was the title of the album and that would be what true colors yes another beautiful song you could see a pattern here i mean she had huge success with you know having the fun dance danceable songs like girls and shebop but then you know she was even getting even a little more at least for chart success with her her slower songs and her ballad type songs um, and I think a part of that too, I, had men I didn't mention this earlier, but part of the uh, interest that she was getting early on in her career from these people listening to her managers, signing her up and everything, was her four octave range voice. Yes. Um, something you cannot you know, compare to in the sense that she was quirky and she was different, but she also had really amazing vocal talent. Unbelievable vocal talent, amazing. Yes. But she chose to use it in many in a in a less conventional way a lot of times. It wasn't like your, you know, like your more refined balladeers that, you know, go up to the mic and sing some sort of real slow song and she just had her own way of doing it. That, exactly. That's that's what made her, I believe, stand apart from the rest is 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 what you just on how she yeah, for sure. Definitely. I agree with that. So, so True Colors, first song, number one again, made it to number five on the adult contemporary chart. Um, and then she had one more, but then again, her next hit, which made it all the way to number three, was another more dancey, danceable kind of song, a more upbeat song, where she used her, um, a lot of the voice things that she had with her, <laughs> her like screeching and everything. Yes. It was oh, you change of heart. One of my, my all-time all favorites. It was just, it, it's, it's just, it just has such a driving beat to it. And oh my goodness, it's definitely something that you could put your head on and get on the treadmill and want to like run forever because it's just, to me, it's, it's a great workout tune that really gets. I'm so happy to hear you say that because I didn't know that, that you felt, I, yeah, I love, it's probably even more than Shebop. I love the, I have, of course, the remix, the long version remix of this. I don't know if that's the one you were working out to or not, but um, I don't know if it's like, because the normal version is like four minutes something, but this longer version is close to, I think, seven minutes or something right. like that. Is it, yeah. is that the one you? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so you're right. The, the drum beats in that. Yes. Are amazing. You know, and, uh, just, just, just the lyrics and and the the way that she presents them, and like you said, the, 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 the oh my goodness, the yeah. just uh, just the, I mean, just in general, and uh, you know, it, the the cool thing, is, especially that I just found um, with some of the remix, Chef Pedro, come on, one of the best guys, I've heard people out there for you know for for putting out. Some yeah, I didn't. In, when this first came out, too, I didn't know 
that there was a group that was that sang backup with this song until I saw the remix of it because the remix, the way it was credited, was different from like the way you would see the single. And I did not know that the Bangles sang background with this song. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So she had her, she had more great musical women of the 80s with her on that. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yep. Now, unfortunately, that was going to only be the only two uh, songs that made the top five. Um, the third release did make it to number 12. And an old Marvin Gaye classic. What's going on? Yeah. Yeah, it was a beautiful song. And she did that. She took it to number 12 on the charts. Um, and that was a fun song. The last song that actually was released as a single, but it kind of failed. It only made it to number 71 was Boy Blue. Yes. From- Correct. Yeah. I do remember, I do remember the Actually, I, I mean... I can't sing it off the top of my head, but I do remember it. Mm. Um, I do believe, though, didn't she use a lot of... She took the proceeds from and actually donated it. Yes, she did. Boy Blue was an old uh, gay men's magazine, so to speak. That that was the name, and I didn't know that at the time either, of course. Okay. But that's why she titled that. It was you know named after a, a, a gay men's magazine, so she did... The proceeds to like you said did go to the aids um yeah so actually i guess maybe he'll know was also released as a single but it didn't chart at all which was like the second song on the album okay but it a lot of good songs and i will there's one other song on here that i remember listening to it and i was like this is a kind of neat song and i'm sure you know stuff about it and i had to do my own little research on it um she had her own version of Ico Ico. Oh, wow. Ico Ico. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and I didn't know. I mean, just from the sound of it, I mean, I knew it had some sort of um, origins. It had to, like, in the South and stuff. And so I had found out it has to do with uh, it was in New Orleans and about tribes of Mardi Gras Indians and traditional confrontation. It was actually first called Giacomo. Remember that line, Giacomo Finane? Yes. Yeah, now that that song, this was what in um, eighty six when this album came out. Um, but I had remember it didn't really chart, like I said, until later from a movie in the eighties and another girl group from the eighties called the Bell Stars, um, who were m- much bigger in the United in the United Kingdom, but they did take Ico Ico to number fourteen on the U.S. charts in nineteen eighty nine. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it was the opening scene to um, Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman movie. Do you know what that is? Uh, oh, oh, Wapner at four. Oh, oh. yeah. <laughs> the name now. You got it, Rain Man. Rain Man, that's it, Rain Man. Yeah, I forgot that that was opening. To, that song opened the movie. Right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So it was kind of interesting. And it actually has a lot of other versions that did well in different parts of um, the world. Um, there was a version by Dr. John in the 70s in the United States. Um, 
there was some other ones. We don't have to get into all that. But it actually was originally written, I guess the first version that was really released was the Dixie Cups in 1965 had a hit with that song, Ico Ico. So it spanned decades, that, that song. Yes, it has. Right. So even though she didn't, you know, release it technically as a single, it was a fun song to hear, you know, on the album. So. Right. Yes. A um, couple of things. Uh before we get to her third and final album of the 80s. Um, I wasn't as big, at least, uh, Billy Joel fan. I mean, I liked a lot of his music, but I really, at the time, wasn't aware that she appeared on his album, The Bridge. Yes. And before you go on, I'm going to make a statement now, and um, if I receive hate mail or whatever, that's fine, but I'm going to put it right on record now that I am not and never was a Billy Joel fan, and always one of the most overrated that exists. So, those of my friends think to this, if you going to make my happen, that's fine. Um, not, I'm, I'm not a huge, not a huge Billy Joel guy either. I know a lot of people, you know, Billy Joel, and that, that's that's fine. Um, I, you know, I, I maybe his earlier stuff. You know, seventy nine. Probably Glass House is my probably my favorite album I've ever done. But wasn't a huge fan of of you know uh, of Billy Joel. Okay, um, point taken. I I'm not either as far as I'm up, but I don't need to reiterate. But <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So like I said, we all like what we like, and you know that's the way it is. Correct. But yeah, so I didn't even know at the time that she had that song. Um, but then I did find out later that she sang the theme song to Pee Wee's Playhouse. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but she wasn't credited no. as Lopper. No, she wasn't. She was Ellen Shaw. Yeah, and she, that was her older sister's name, Ellen. Okay. So she used that um, as an alias sort of thing. She then starred, before we get to the next album, in her own movie with Jeff Goldblum, Peter Falk, uh, called Vibes. Yes, correct. And at the time, again, I don't. I remember the movie, but it wasn't something like, you know, when it came out, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to see this, and I wasn't into it. Um, this is '88, so I was in the middle of college, as you know, and I, I didn't really pay attention to it. But I remember the song coming out, um, even though it only reached number 54 on our charts in the United States. Um, it was a kind of a like on her compilations later, um, Hole in My Heart All the Way to China. Okay. I don't know. Do you remember that song at all? Uh, I do not. Probably if you heard, if you listened to it, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm not, you know, once you hear it. Um, but again, like, you're probably right. You're yeah. Probably but that's only because it didn't reach it, you know, it reached to 54. So it wasn't heavily played at all. It wasn't, you know, it didn't get a lot of airplay. It was just that, one, I was such a huge fan of Cindy that in her music that I, was aware that that had come out. And two, I'm a big fan of like obscure songs and songs that don't always make it big. So that was something on my radar, you know, as far as the song itself. So now that that's that's hole in my heart. I do believe that was number eight, though, in Australia. Yes, it's a big Aussie. And didn't she put her tour um, in 2008 with that? Yes, she did. Because Australia loved that song for her, so yep. Awesome. Yes. So 
then we are on to her third and final album from the 80s. Um, and it, again, it was unfortunate in the sense that it's kind of like she exploded huge with the first album. And as albums went along, they just didn't do quite as well commercially. Um, and she was losing some of her fan base, maybe. And I guess also the whole tide of music was changing in some ways. And as we started to enter to the early 90s. So I guess all that's, um, you know, reasonable and relatable. Yes. Yeah. Um, but on her third album, A Night to Remember, the first song that was released, which was another cover from a song a few years earlier by Roy Orbison. Yes. Classic. Another great. I Drove All Night. And I didn't know, I was not a big Roy Orbison fan at the time. I'm a much bigger fan of his now. But at the time in the 80s, because, you know, he had much more success earlier than the 80s, of course. Yeah. So I didn't really know that song. And when she did it, I didn't realize at first, you know, I thought it was her song. And um, and I just, I'll never forget to this day that the video with her sitting with the, you know, the, the wheel, the tire going on her body, the way she was sitting to the side. Right. And I just, I love that song. And there's that one part of that song where she hits that highest note. And it just, it gives me, I literally, it gives me chills. I mean, it gives me chills just thinking about it. But whenever I listen to that song, when it gets to that part, it just, it does, it sends sh shivers down my spine. It gives me the chills. Uh, and it is, it is definitely, it's, it's definitely a classic done in her great stuff to me. Yeah, thank you for saying that because she just took that and took made it her own, and it just was amazing. So it did make it to number six, um, and, but that was the last song that really did well at all. Her, my first night without you from that album, two on the charts, um, and then she really—that was it, really, for her career as far as specifically pop music charts. Of course, she's done a lot since, which we're not really here to talk about this so much. Um, but she's done a lot of work with LGBTQ rights afterwards. And of course she won on Broadway with her kinky boots. She won, in fact, she is one oh away from being an EGOT. Oh my goodness. She has an Emmy, Grammy, and a Tony. How about that? Just no Oscar. But she is one of the few singers who have close to having an EGOT. Um, I'm trying to think. Like John Legend is one that comes to mind, you know, the singer John Legend, he does now, he's an EGOT with all four, but there aren't that many singers that have been able to get to the EGOT, especially because it's usually the Oscar that eludes them unless they can get one of those kind of songs in a movie that they get, you know, winning an award for the, the, mute, the song itself. Right. But I'm proud of my Cindy for that. So, <laughs> um, couple other things I just wanted to say about Cindy. Um, what, and besides the one I mentioned already with uh, specifically with the videos and how, and how some of the songs really touched me, but like I did not get to see Cindy Lauper in concert back in the eighties when she was huge, but I did get to see her in concert in 2005. Nothing wrong with that. No, and I'm so glad I eventually did get to see her. I know she was on a tour with Cher, which was supposed to be like Cher's final tour or whatever. Um, 
there's a lot of artists that are having final tours in four times. Right. <laughs> it's their final tour, but then they do it again anyway. Um, but when I when I saw her in concert in 2005, I, I, in my mind, I was very excited because, of course, one of my favorite artists of all time, I just wasn't prepared for how much I was going to be blown away by her. I, I went in thinking, oh, I know I'm going to probably really enjoy this and I'm going to have fun. But it was like, it was almost life changing. Like I really, it sounds crazy, but like just the way it moved me. And I was so impressed by her, her, her vocal talent live, her stage presence, her energy, her creativity, um, her instrumentation. She played like three or four different instruments throughout the concert with different songs. Uh, it, it was amazing. I mean, one thing highlight too, I remember she did Shebop but she did it as like a slow ballad. Uh, she sat in the middle of the stage with uh, a harpsichord and used a harpsichord and sang this acoustic version of Shebob. I mean, people were just like bawling. It was like, it was so emotionally moving. And for a song about what Shebop is about, like we talked about, for two, to me, you know? <laughs> the harpsichord, wow. Yeah, I, again, I was, I really, really was blown away. I did not expect to come out of that concert as moved as I was. I mean, I just, she just blew me away and I'm so happy and thrilled to this day that I did eventually get to see her. And in fact, I was like in the third or fourth row in the venue and at one time, um, and I, I was so like in frozen in awe, like I don't even remember which song it was particularly, but she came out into the stage and off the stage, I should say, into the audience, and she was dancing on top of the chairs and stuff. And the one time she was on the chair right in front of my face, and I'm like looking at her legs and looking up, and I'm like, I I, I couldn't even like move. I was just frozen. That's fantastic, and you know, it's 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 amazing that when we you know do these talk, we have our conversations. That you remember. A Song, like how it was done, how it was recorded, but then when you go favorite artist artist concerts, they take that song, they present it a different way, and just like you know, I I I, I think I like the version done this way rather than like the original. <laughs> oh my god! But that that's supposed to show you what kind of artist that we had in the eighties that could take those kind of music that were ingrained up and then put it presented like in another another way. Oh my god, that was that was just that was just mind blowing. I agree. And for it to be twenty two years later from the original of it, Chibop, to when I saw it, um, and again, I, like I, what you said, that you could actually like it better, but at the same time, it's almost, you know, life changes a lot in 20-some years, and it, it's just another version of it that just has an indelible effect on you. And yet, I don't dislike the original, but this was, you know, kind of like, maybe that was the young version when you're younger and more carefree, and this was the more, you know, like, I'm older, a little more serious, a little more attuned to life, and it... it it kind of, which was nice because it bridged that gap between being a teenager in the 80s like we were and then being a much older adult later. Absolutely correct. I couldn't agree with you more on that one. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, one last thing before we want to wrap this up, I just kind of like as a sort of summation to 
in addition to all the things we talked about. Um, but just to get one last sort of look at Cindy as like spanning, looking at the whole career type of thing. I mean, she sold over 50 million records worldwide. She won Grammys, Emmys, Tonys, uh, Critic Circle Awards, MTV Music Awards, Billboard Awards, American Music Awards. She was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame and the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And as I mentioned, she's one away from being an EGOT. Um, she won Best Female Video Prize at the VMAs for Girls Just Want to Have Fun. And this music video, you know, it's recognized by MTV. VH1 Rolling Stone is one of the greatest music videos of the era, kind of like we already been talking about originally. <laughs> Right. She's featured yeah. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Museum's Women Who Rock exhibit, which I someday would love to get to see this Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Museum. Yeah. And I will and I will and I will take you there because you will be totally blown away. But what if they take down? Will this still be up? I mean, they're never going to hopefully remove this. They will. They will, me, they will never. They will never remove that with the with the seven floors and it expanding. Oh, my goodness. Be totally blown away. <laughs> So they're not going to get rid of the women who rock exhibit because I definitely want to see her there. That it will definitely it will definitely remain there absolutely because uh -huh. again that that's definitely you know besides her all the women that that rocked and made music what it is today um, that'll definitely be one exhibit that will never go away. Like, right. Will be you'll be in total awe. I I was there about three and um I I said to people I was with I need more than. Definitely need to like hang there for a week just to get through all the things. Eat all the things that you need. Yeah, I look forward to it. I, I really do. All right, and the last thing, basically, just to say here, just to give it sort of the icing on the cake. Roach. So, <laughs> well, yeah, that. But her debut album that we talked about, she's so unusual. Um, it is included in the Rolling Stones list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. Um, and Time After Time is included in VH1's list of the 100 best songs of the past 25 years. And VH1 even ranks her as number 58 of the 100 greatest women of rock and roll. That's amazing. And, and again, I, what a, she, she was a, she's a fantastic artist. Um, I, I, again, one of the ones that I think that was definitely underrated of our time. And I don't know why, you know, I don't know why people really like I, but I just thought her music, you know, she could go from, you know, pop to change of parts, uh, just the stuff, things that she wrote and, and, and her, we talked about her music range. She was definitely, definitely one of the top, one of the notch artists of the 80s. And, and I mean, even going into today with all the things that, that she's just amazing. Yeah, definitely. I can't say enough again about her humanitarian work and her LGBT rights fight that she does. Um, I remember when she was invited to be at Barack Obama's second inauguration. Um, that's how much she's revered. And just comment to what you said about not maybe being underrated. And I think, at least my opinion, I think part of it um, maybe has to do with just her her being unconventional and being different, being so unusual that, you know, she doesn't fit the mold that uh, enough of the, of the public can totally accept her right away because that's how some people are. Um, they just don't get it right away. Whereas um, I could see right through that. I could just, I could see the talent that she had and almost like 
as a testament to all the stuff we just talked about, the goodness that she had, the, the kind of person that she was, the way she treated other people, the way she handled herself with, with interviews and the way she talked to people and acted, um, it was just, she's just an all around amazing woman there. Yeah, totally agree. So there you have it. My encapsulation of one of my favorite artists of all time, Cindy Lauper. Well, great job, Dan. As always, uh, you're 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 spot on with your with your facts and your as always. Um, being the '80s geeks that we are, we always are staying on top. So uh, <laughs> uh, that was great. Too bad we couldn't have her call the show. It would have been awesome to hear. But um, then, if she was knowing this and able to call in, and you know, we could get we were able to get our podcast. I don't think you would be on your team too much. Um, <laughs> so, um, I, so in a good way, that's kind of the thing that she wasn't able to find out and, and appear on the show because then you probably would a stellar job that, that you know, covering Cindy Lauper. Um, all right. Uh, anything else in closing, Dan? No, just continue to love the 80s. Rad, dude. Rad. <laughs> so, all right, everybody out there in podcast land, we hope you enjoyed our special, uh, our uh, our kind of featured artist today, Flopper. So, again, this is for Dan, totally 80s music. Um, again, stay safe, uh, stay healthy, and uh, keep listening to Danny Kevin, totally 80s music. Dan, good talking to you. Stay Same safe. Here. Stay cool. Take care. You too. You too. All right. So long. Bye. Bye. See ya. Bye.